there are a bunch of beliefs that SaaS companies have uh, around like creating the website. So for example, they might look at bigger companies for reference where they usually have the worst websites. They can afford to have the worst websites because people already know more or less what they do. They still lose a lot of money by not having their messaging like dialed in, but way less than what a early stage company that no one knows about would have because they they can't afford to not be clear about it, right? Uh, otherwise, ads are not going to be profitable. They can't really grow. Uh, people are just going to think it's uh, a nice to have and they're not going to will- be willing to pay more uh, or what they want to um, get for the product, right? That's one. Another one is starting with the design first. Uh, that's never a good idea. Uh, or starting writing the copy right away. That's another one. So what do you always do is want to figure out what are the things that my customer needs to understand in order to say, I want to try this product or I want to book the call. Hey everyone, welcome to the Opera Sky podcast. My name is Ricardo Monegas and I will be your host. On this podcast, we would like to share valuable knowledge, lessons learned and stories from entrepreneurs, investors and managers while running their businesses. We strive to ask the right questions and discover insight from our guests so you can apply them in your business and life right after each episode. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Hi everyone, today we're talking with Pedro Cortez. He's a consultant in software as a service marketing or messaging. He's helping uh, companies to turn visitors into customers improving their messaging and copywriting. So welcome, Pedro. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I just want to make this episode like as valuable as possible. I know I have some good questions and I'll try to make them, try to provide the most detailed answers I can. <laughs> good. Yeah, the, I think the, the questions are really to achieve some practical tips for founders out there and, and, and guide them to move forward into their landing pages and websites, right? Mm-hmm. So, but before going more into the tactical part, we can go first into your life and see how come did you start working into this? It, yeah, can you tell us about your story behind working in messaging and, and copywriting or positioning? Yeah, so my story is a little bit weird because I uh, I was always curious. Uh, ever since I was a kid, I was always, always curious about things that, tweaks that you can make in order to make things like more efficient. So even down to like manufacturing and all these things, I always liked watching documentaries around it of how people would optimize X, Y, and Z so they can make the company more profitable. So I was always like a geek for those systems. Now I realize why, because over the years, I kind of figured doubled down on those strengths. Um, But I was, I always liked things that you could do, whatever tweaks there was in order to make the companies grow or, or more, more profitable, especially stuff out of, things that were already there. So for example, when it comes to a website, you already have the traffic there. And if you make a tweak to the website or the messaging, like you make more money out of what you already have. Those are the things that I like the most. That's why I doubled down on it. Weirdly enough, I started off as a designer because uh, at the time, right around seven years ago, more or less, um, there weren't that many guidelines around how to design proper apps or how to make them make more money or make the users more active. People were just totally winging it. Um, and I feel like I could do better. And I posted a bunch of redesigns that I would do to popular apps. I got a bunch of uh, projects, even worked for an agency 
for like a month or something because like I just didn't like working for someone else. Um, so I, I got some experience with that. And then slowly I, I, I doubled down on landing pages because I liked doing that more. And then I just realized that I was pretty natural at doing it because um, I was natural at doing the copy, not ju- just to the design. Uh, and then I just doubled down on the copy and so on and so forth. Because the reason I could do the design super easily is because I used to draw as a kid, like all day, every day, like 10 hours if I had to. Like That was my hobby. That's what I did all day. So for my eye was trained to whatever I, 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 I see, whatever I looked at, I, I can just recreate. So for me, design was pretty easy. And then I just noticed that, um, you know, I was pretty good at a copywriting, like naturally start reading a few books about it. Um, and then I remember one of those books just said, if you're a type of guy that can geek out on a, a very technical conversation, even if you don't know anything about it, then you're just born to be a copywriter. And I just noticed that instantly because I can, uh, whenever I have conversations like engineers or, or other stuff that I just like to geek out on. I can just speak forever, even if I don't know anything about it. And I can explain it to someone else very easily. So mm-hmm. that's been the the weird uh, journey up until here. Okay. So that's kind of your superpower, how to transfer um, tech knowledge, let's say, to a more easy language, let's say. Right? Yeah, I guess <laughs> that's, the, that's the strength. Good. And yeah, how does it look your day this during this time? So you are working for other companies as a consultant. So yeah, can you walk us through your day if that's even possible? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm very systematic with the stuff that I do. So and that now th- th- that part is going to be changing slightly as well as I build a bigger and bigger team as I give them more responsibility as well because I do have a um, a team already, but I, I, I'm always tweaking what sort of tasks each person should do because I also want to make sure that they are good at it and they like enjoy doing it as well so everything is consistent and efficient and so on uh, as part of the learning stages because um, I've been learning how to do that as well. So right now what my day looks like is Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays are mostly uh, like reviewing things or training for customer, for for the team, uh, like recording stuff, improving SOPs, uh, improving like the processes that I have on how to create landing pages and make it really efficient, make sure that it works super well, that we can extract the insights from the clients the best way possible, that we have like a bunch of formulas for different scenarios. So then uh, we can take a page and we take the first draft and we have like formulas on how to make everything sounds 10 times better. And sometimes that flows really well, but sometimes it doesn't. So I want to build systems for it where it's like almost like Lego pieces, almost like power-ups that you could add to the page. Uh, and because they're written, you don't have like writer's block because you just look at it and say, oh, yeah, I could use that idea and I could use that here. And right. So that's what I spend most of the uh, time doing. I also, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, I always go to the gym for like an hour because that really slows down my head. Uh, makes a huge difference. Started doing that for uh, around a year ago. Just makes a massive difference. Um, and then Tuesdays and Thursdays, I have calls either with clients or new potential clients because I like to batch tasks. So er- all the other times of the week is asynchronous stuff because I like doing things asynchronously. And Tuesdays and Thursdays is it's calls because there's no context context switching. It's just calls beginning of the morning, be- uh, like beginning of the day. Till the end of the day, I'm just going to be delegating some of the intro calls as well because I want to double down. I want to focus on the client projects and doing what I do best. Uh, the intro calls is more to figure out 
can I help this person in the first place? Is it the right time? Right? What sort of help they're looking for? And I'm going to have someone else in my team do that because then it's uh, much easier for me to double down on, on the quality of the projects and uh, also gives me more energy. And I guess we can uh, control that much better because then everyone loses less time. Even the people on the other ends, I can just recommend, hey, you should do this, you should do that. And then you talk to Pedro mm -hmm. like in a few months or something. Mm -hmm. And in that uh, journey of or all these different tasks, what, what do you love more to do in, apart from yeah maybe of the intro calls or the working with customers what task is the best for you uh the task that i like the most is looking at the business on a high level and look at it in terms of pieces look at it in terms of almost like a funnel and what are the things that i can make 10% improvements that i can stack in order to double it for example mm -hmm. so if i can get for example if i can make my posts get a little bit more reach If I add one more per week, if I add a type of post that is meant to grab attention so it gets a new audience in because it's meant to get reactions, gets a new audience in to watch the new posts, that I improve slightly the transition from reading my post to actually booking the call. I get a few more calls. That I improve my offer a little bit so I can charge a little bit more or it's easier to close. Or maybe we do like a downsell or an upsell to squeeze Uh, you know, some more money out of the same lead volume we have. Uh, then how do I uh, get clients to recommend me a little bit more often? Because this is like time sensitive stuff. It's not like a client can just say, oh, I have a friend that needs to redo like a landing page. He also has a SaaS company. In his head, that might happen once every two years. Like the, his friend saying, oh, I need to redo my page. In his friend's head, that might happen every two years. That's why it's like you do get referrals, but it's... um. Is not super, super consistent uh, because it's not a recurring need, right? It's something that you really need, is really important, but in their head, it's not recurring yet, right? So it's also part of educating them and so on. Yeah, so I like looking at the pieces, let's say. Got it. Um, maybe to start that journey towards uh, the practical tips now. So do you have any specific belief that maybe are kind of contrarian to what is the standard in the software as a service community or in the industry of technology so can you walk us through this maybe one or two of these points that maybe make you different yeah i i have um like a bunch of beliefs that are totally like different like because uh, i'm a bit of a contrarian let's say uh i always i'm always been fascinated by people that do the opposite and they win So uh, I'm just fascinated by that. There are a bunch of beliefs that SaaS companies have uh, around like creating the website. So for example, they might look at bigger companies for reference where they usually have the worst websites. They can afford to have the worst websites because people already know more or less what they do. They still lose a lot of money by not having their messaging like dialed in, but way less than what a early stage company that no one knows about would have because they, they can't afford to not be clear about it, right? Uh, otherwise, ads are not going to be profitable. They can't really grow. Uh, people are just going to think it's uh, a nice to have and they're not going to will be willing to pay more or, or what they want to um, get for the product, right? That's one. Another one is starting with the design first. Uh, that's never a good idea. Uh, or starting writing the copy right away. That's another one. So what do you always do is want to figure out what are the things that my customer needs to understand 
in order to say, I want to try this product or I want to book the call? What are the decisions that need to be made in their head? What are the questions that need to be answered in order for them to say, uh, okay, this would make me excited to want to try it? First, you outline that. Then you figure out what is a logical way of explaining this? Like, what would the order of the page be? Only after the finding all these things and deciding on them and perfecting them is when you think about even the first headline, right? Because otherwise, your brain is going to be thinking about all that at the same time. You're going to start, you want to brainstorm the headline and filter it and make it better all at the same time before you try to write it. And you either can't write anything or you write like the most horrible headline ever and it's not going to get you anywhere, right? So you need to clearly separate those stages uh, and be like one of the copywriters I really like, Joseph Sugarman, say, I, uh, I'm a bad copywriter, but an amazing editor, right? Because he just brains dumps things and perfects them to the T. That's another one. Um, then it's thinking of their website in a very different way as uh, like the like a sales call, right? I actually like to use that metaphor. Imagine your website is a 24-7 salesman. If it doesn't address the objections, if it doesn't explain things properly, you'll never close the deal. The exact same thing. The, the problem is you don't get any feedback for it. Because in a demo, people will have questions. People will have yes excuses that you need to think about it or whatever it is. And you'll have the feedback on the website to get zero feedback. You might even have a portion of your audience that, is, that never converted just because they're turned off by whatever, said, whatever thing you wrote. That, are, that is told that they interpret in a different way, right? So there are a million of these false beliefs. I think you have to hold me down, otherwise I'll be here talking forever about them. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, of course in the process maybe we will uncover other points that yeah are part of this, right? Um, yeah, um, maybe just to step back a bit, right? So of course. Um, I understand, okay, messaging, marketing is, of course, quite important for any company. So, yeah, what have you seen as what is the biggest challenge for a company? Why their website sucks? Why they don't communicate well or think in the way you are doing? Yeah, what is the reason behind that? <laughs> mm -hmm. the, the, main, the main reason why that happens, I think it's like two underlying issues. The first one is there are no good reference. Because all the websites are really bad. They don't have, they actually have the wrong reference of what's a good website and what's a bad website, right? They might think, like I said, the big companies have like good websites and so on, whereas they're very vague, full of buzzwords, funny jokes, all these things. And then they get like, they're, they're horrible. They try to copy them. They think that those are good. They think they need to have like this really smart tone of voice. And by having the wrong reference just makes them make the, the, wrong decisions, right? That is the first reason. The second reason is regardless if they're a marketer or a founder or whatever, they're always product people. They always like to focus on the cool thing that they're building. And even this new feature that they're launching is that, like they're a baby. So sometimes they over-prioritize it, right? The, but the main problem is they, they write like robots, right? Everything is very literal. They talk about uh, features too much. It's, it's like they're selling this to another geek, another product geek, where you want to show all these little things that it can do, whereas normally when you're selling a B2B SaaS or the way that people look at the idea of buying a B2B SaaS product, they kind of, even if they're geeks as well, they kind of make a switch in their head. 
because they want to figure out how can I use this product in order to make more money or save money or not have to hire another person because I can automate this or uh, be able to do something that I couldn't do before that it wasn't really possible, right? Uh, or something that I can automate so I can spend my time doing something else that I'd rather do and I think is more productive, right? They look at it in a completely different way. So those are the two main problems, bad reference and writing like a robot. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, not good for in general <laughs> not for good the for industry, them. But, but okay. Um, in general, um, yeah. What are the the main problems that you see in a website? I think you already kind of started into into mentioning them before, like uh, all the concerns and fears that comp that people which are visiting a website. Um, are maybe not getting answers from based on your experience. Okay. I'll try to rapid fire a few. So for example, one of them could be not having a clear goal of what the landing page should do. Because a landing page doesn't sell you on the products. It sells you on the next step, right? So it sells you on the idea of trying it, on the idea of being curious enough to want to book a call, right? It's not meant to sell you on all the features. You have to separate those roles, right? The landing page sells you on trying the products and trying the product sells you on buying it. If you clearly separate those, then it becomes very evident of what needs to go on the page and what could be left out, right? That's number one and clear goals. Uh, number two is they, they don't, uh, they never explain things in a logical order, right? So they have all these features, but they never explain how they work together, right? So let me try to give you an, uh, an example. Let's say, let's say a CRM for sales, like a sales team, right? At the beginning, what we want to say is we want to talk about the setup because the first thing you do is you set it up, right? And what, is, what does the setup mean? And that's one of the biggest fears they have. It means importing all the current deals that they have from a different CRM into this one, making sure the data is accurate so they can start doing this. Afterwards is maybe they start automating all the follow-ups so the sales team can focus on doing more of the prospecting and doing more calls rather than doing the follow-ups. Then after that is they probably get some want to get some visibility on what's going on, who's closing the most, uh, how many deals are we closing, uh, why are we losing so many deals, right? What is, the, what is the most popular reason? So then is the insights, right? So as you can see, I explained this in a logical order where a normal SaaS company was just explain follow-ups. Um, Visibility, um, integrations, right? It's just nothing works together. It doesn't make any sense. So every single section uh, that you write needs to support and create curiosity to keep reading the next one, right? It's almost like a slippery, slippery slide of everything needs to work together. Otherwise, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like a, a, two different people explaining the same products. It's like they're a bunch of conflicts. No one can decide based on that. Overwhelming. Um, then another thing could be not selling the call to action, right? Because let's say, let's say you have, um, let's say it could be that CRM for salespeople, right? Let's say you have a trial, right? Yeah. Instead of just saying get started today or get a trial, you could say that during these fourteen days. There are going to be automatic follow-ups that will close you new deals during the trial. So it goes from try it for free to I'm going to make more money during the trial. 
and the setup is going to take five minutes because of the integrations. Totally different. Another thing could be contact our team to book a demo or book a demo today. Book your free personalized demo. Instead of saying, in this 30-minute call, we'll show you how you can outline the perfect sales process and you can walk away out of the call with a fully set up accounts ready for you to try it. I understand that's not possible for all companies, but it's framing whatever you have in the best way possible, right? I have a client that has like a, a procurement, um, like a tool for procurement where it can uh, decide on the approvals and so on to buy stuff. And what we're doing is in this, in this 30 minute call, we're going to outline the perfect procurement process. We're going to show you what it would look like. And if you want to build, if you want to move forward, we'll build it for you. And if I don't like it, we'll give you your money back. Right? So we'll build the entire process and give you the money back if you don't like it. Right? So everything set up for them and so on. This is something they already did. They just didn't communicate it. Right? Tons and tons of mistakes. Like, again, like you asked me questions that I could go on forever. <laughs> so be careful. Yeah. So in general, or the big picture is how to mitigate risks of people in general, how the yep. landing page is communicating to um, reduce the risk because at the end of the day, the person who is um, going to buy from you is kind of putting their name that this can work, right? And then mm -hmm. he, this person wants to prevent that he get, he or she get fired or I don't know, any other problem, right? Or any fuck up. Yep. Good. Um, yeah, so what are the typical tweaks that you do, right? Like, um, yeah, maybe maybe not talking about the tweaks, but maybe about the process behind the tweaks. Like, if you can walk us through, let's say today I hire you <laughs> and then we need to start working together. So how does it look, the process, and maybe what are some examples of potential tweaks that you typically do uh, or mm -hmm. that you see as a common problem? So... The reality is, is I very rarely do any tweaks. I just rewrite the whole the whole thing. That is very, very rare. That is something that they have something that is usable. Because regardless of how good a landing page is, I look at it and I still see programs. Right? Because that's what I've been doing all day, every day for years. And it's I can unsee it, right? I only see programs. Whatever I look at it, I only see programs and potential on how to make it better. What are the things that are unclear? What could have, could have been done better in terms of explaining that particular feature, even if it's good already, right? It's almost like a very harsh uh, critic, but that's how you found the opportunities, right? So if you were to work with me, it goes back to the process that I mentioned earlier. I isolate everything. So let's say we were to work on one page just to simplify it, right? Normally, I like to work in sprints. So I look at the biggest opportunities, three to four pages, do those a month, six weeks, stuff like that. Uh, and have them ready to go and then repeat the cycle, right? Uh, so we always go for the biggest opportunities. Let's say you work with me on one landing page. What I'll do is I'll clearly define what is the goal of that landing page, like I mentioned before. Maybe if it's the homepage, we need to make sure that not only I explain the product, I'm just going to make this up. Not only um, I need to explain the product, but I need to make sure that I explain it in a way that handles two types of decision makers or maybe the decision maker and the user, because we know that we, we don't have two separate pages yet, right? 
uh, unlike other landing pages that are just for that person or just for that industry or something like that. That is a common issue that a homepage needs to have that goal. Uh, then once I understand the goal, now I understand about the customer. So who's going to be looking at this page? And what are the things that they need to know before they say, this is exactly what I need? Right? I want to list out all the reasons. Right? So what are the decisions that they make? And you can you can do this in several ways. You can look at demos, common questions, how they talk uh, about other competitors. So what are the things that they uh, complain about? Why do they switch from a competitor to your product? Because that's like usually a really big sign because it's a, a lot of resistance to overcome. So there must be a big reason and that's like a good way to spot them, spotting them. So I list all that out in a very messy Google Doc because the Google Doc is for me, right? Where I brainstorm all of this and then I prioritize it and then I simplify it and then I group things. So for example, I look at all these reasons and what needs to be said and I figure out what is a way that I can address these three things in one section when all of those go together, right? So I do all of that before even writing the single freaking first headline, right? I isolate everything. Make all those decisions up front. I already have a picture in my head of what it needs to say, but I don't have a picture on how am I going to say it. So I isolate those two. Then I think about the headlines. Okay, now, now I know what I want to say on this page. I want to figure out what each section should say because every section needs to work together. Now that I know what each section should say, I want to figure out what is the best headline to communicate that. And then what is an image or a, a video that would support whatever headline I wrote so they work together? And what is the body copy? What is the rest of the text that could support the headline and the video at the same time, adding more detail? But at the same time, it's something that you can skim through because that's another false belief. People never read. Sometimes they are paranoid because they say the same thing twice on the website. For example, when I say, uh, talk about mitigating the risk, I talk about mitigating the risk like three or four times on the page. And sometimes clients look at this and say, why are we saying this like three or four times? Because no, no one reads. People only skim through the website. So my job is to make sure that the website is skimmable, that they can understand without actually reading any of the body copy, just with the headlines or just scrolling through it. And that every single section is meant to grab their attention so that they can stop maybe start reading a little bit more about that feature that they really care about. And then the rest, they just keep skimming. That is a realistic way of how people buy. Everything else is not realistic. They're not going to read it. So I need to design that with that in mind. So that's the process. Then I just repeat that. Um, and then that's it. Isolating everything. That's how we make every single part as efficient as possible. Great. And you have mentioned that you work kind of by cycles, right? Or sprint. So yeah, how do you measure that something is working or not working? So do you use any specific tools for that or any ways to measure that? Mm -hmm. That's another false belief that SaaS companies usually have, that analytics can measure everything. Uh, the sad reality is we have a huge, huge problem with attribution uh, in SaaS companies because someone might come from a referral, go to your homepage and buy. Someone might uh, buy six months later. Someone might uh, click on an ad. Two weeks later, they click on your homepage because they rem remember the name. And then they sign up. And then they don't buy. And then they, someone else in the team signs up. And then they buy the, for the whole team, right? It's impossible to attribute everything perfectly. 
right? But what I like to do is I like to do either one of these two things. And I really wish that analytics would be better because it would make my job way easier because I would love to every single time be able to say with the exact number so I can use those for case studies, this page got 50% more people to book that also pay more, right? I would love to have that. And I do have that in a lot of case studies, but I don't have that for all the clients. I don't wish I would have that for all the clients. I always do research on how to do it. It would be better for everyone, even for me to get more referrals and case studies and so on. So it's within my interest as well, but it's just not possible. Everyone that says that is the, is unrealistic. Uh, so what I like to do is I like to do either one of these two tests. So either we have a very solid baseline, meaning that let's say you have a company, it has plateaued, and you get around 150 trials a month. And it's about the same. There isn't that much seasonality. Uh, you're not adding marketing channels. You just got to a point that the only thing that you can do to increase revenue is just improving the messaging so you can squeeze more trials out of the traffic you already have, right? So that's a good scenario for a baseline test, meaning the trials are always about the same, meaning if I change these pages and they increase, is because of the stuff that we've done because they have months and months, if not more of, of consistent results, right? That is one. Then if you have enough of traffic, we can do a straight AV test. Uh, and ideally we set up with a goal of uh, revenue as well. That's a very clear, um, a very key um, uh, point here because I've had plenty of clients where we had like a tw 10, 20% increase in conversions, which doesn't sound that impressive, but they, they're getting like 50, 40, uh, 40, 50% more revenue because those were the most skeptical users. Uh, let's say we go back to the CRM. The more salespeople you have, the more overwhelming it is from switching from one product to another, right? All these contacts, people have to learn a new tool. What if they don't adopt it? They're stubborn. They want to use the previous tool. It's going to be useless, right? So the bigger the company, the more users they'll pay for it, they can pay you twice as much money, but they're way more skeptical, right? Because the risk is bigger for them. So by addressing this, we might get that 10% extra of customers that pay you way more. That is a very common scenario or why uh, clients want to reach out to me if they want to go like up market and so on. Uh, so that could totally happen. That's why you always want to measure revenue as well in the A-B tests because you can get about the same and so on. I don't really care if they even get less demos. And if they end up being more qualified and they make them way more money, right? At the end of the day, we're always biased towards revenue. Like in my case, if I get less calls and I get better clients that pay more, come back more often, refer me more, who cares? Even better, right? Yeah. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do stupid tweaks to get them more trials to make sure that the numbers are really good, but then the revenue doesn't go up. That is BS. I don't really care about that because there could be a million tricks for me to do that. Got it, got it. And you have mentioned so, um, maybe the difference between the SMEs and enterprise, if we can talk about that. So in messaging, so what have you seen as something that make me that makes a difference if you are targeting a um, small company or a bigger company? Is there any difference that you have noticed till now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's. I've I've done this quite a lot where I've helped clients go for enterprise leads. The main difference is they're way more skeptical. If you think about it, way more people involved in the decision-making process. Even if they're not the ones making the decision, 
there's still a fear in the back of someone's head of being judged, of making the wrong decision, because everyone in the team now has to use a new tool, right? So I actually wrote an ebook that I shared on LinkedIn like a couple of months ago just for enterprise, and it has like eight categories. I don't remember all of them from memory because that's why I wrote it in the first place. But essentially looking at that skepticism and putting it to categories. And I'll give you a few examples. But um, the main thing is that the like the bigger they get, the more likely they have tried like another product, the more demos they have seen where um, the companies are always just doing a boring ass presentation and they don't even get to see the products and they get followed up with for months. And they say the product is really good when they try it, it's horrible. And they said the support was great when they tried it, it's horrible. So they have all these bad experiences. They have uh, much bigger uh, demands for features and so on. And they're also more skeptical, right? So it's, this is like a nightmare scenario. If you can sell these guys, if you can address the objections for these guys, like you can probably address for everyone else, right? One of the first ones could be, is this tool too small for me? Right? Because if sometimes they see a trial or sometimes they don't see numbers. So I'll give you an example. The CRM for, for salespeople, right? Uh, I've done this with a CRM for call centers and it was very, very evident where it's like uh, the volume that it can handle. Can it handle at a hundred person sales team? Can it handle hundreds of thousands of contacts at once? Right? Uh, can it handle the volume? Right? So if I look at this product and it looks like only small companies use it. Then I'm going to assume it's not going to, it's not going to work for hundreds of thousands of contents at once. It's going to break. Right. So therefore I can't buy it. Just one tiny reason, one tiny reason, like you're gone, lost that one, lost that customer. Integrations. If it doesn't work with the tools they already use, it means that all these other processes that they spend so long creating is not going to work with the tool, even if it seemed perfect in all the other areas. Just by you not talking about them, they assume you don't have them gone, right? Probably one in 10 will actually reach out and book a demo anyway, because they're very desperate, but all the other nine, gone, right? Supports, they don't want, they don't want you to, to uh, send them a link to a help desk uh, article. They want you to fix the issue. They want to know how long it's going to take to fix the issue, not to get the initial reply. Because you can have 24 seven supports. I can get a reply in two minutes, but I can get a reply saying, let me talk back with someone else in my team or send you an article. They want to know who's behind the supports. I'll give you an example. I have a client that has a web monitoring tool to check for bugs and so on for e-commerce companies and that sort of stuff. They had support from the engineers building the tool. Those were the ones fixing the issues if you ever had an issue. But they never say that. Now we say that we get you get supports Monday through Friday, US-based within US time the time zone. Fixed by the engineers that pick the, uh, uh, build the tool. So they're not going to tell you how to fix it. They're going to fix it for you. Very different than just saying, we have good supports, which is what most companies put on the website. Then you have compliance. Legally, they can't buy if it's not compliant. If you don't say it, they assume you're not. Security co- concerns sometimes is similar to compliance, but security stuff, not just data, user data. Uh, then set up time, the bigger the company, the more stuff there is to set up. Training, very similar, but for training, because I need to train the whole team on a new tool. If you don't help me, it's going to be a nightmare. It's going to take six months. Don't want to do it. Even if the tool is perfect, I'm just going to delay this, never do it, right? 
So tell me if you have tutorials. Tell me if you're going to help me out to train the team, right? All these little things. I think there are like eight categories that are uh, not a ton, but these are like the main ones. Okay. Yeah, maybe we can find the ebook later and put it in the podcast description if someone mm -hmm. is interested into this topic, of course. Um, yeah, so, yeah, you mentioned in all of these categories, maybe one is integrations, which I personally have lived this with when trying to collaborate with corporates, right? So that typically, they already are using different systems, and of course, the expectations are, I need... <laughs> all of these streamlined and somehow connected, right? Um, so how do you fix that problem from the point of view of communication if you don't have an integration yet, but maybe you want to have it, right? But then who pays the bill there? <laughs> Is the, the startup trying to, yeah, trying to cover that if they see this as a scalable way to grow into the market or... Do you think the corporates are open if they see value to, to collaborate into custom solutions for them? So how do you communicate this custom case, for example? Uh, I mean, deciding if they want to build it or not, that's like a business problem, not a landing page problem, because they have to decide if the yeah, economics work out for them. So I can make suggestions, but I'm not the, the one deciding them. What I um, what I do is I take whatever restriction they have and I try to make it sound really good, right? Find a way around it. So for example, I had clients where they didn't have integrations. Uh, like a common integration that people really wanted, they didn't have it. They had some, but not all of them. They're still in development. But what we could do is, is we could say, we integrate with these, com with these companies. If you would like, if they're not listed, Listed will build a fully custom integration just for you, included in the plan, right? Because then it removes the fear and I make it sound even better because not only am I going to get the integration, I'm going to get the integration for the use cases that I want, right? Mm -hmm. I even had uh, clients that sold enterprise deals like 25K, 50K, stuff like that. The product wasn't fully finished or there was missing like a very key feature. And then the way that we got around this is by saying, uh, the way I framed it is basically, uh, you can get this feature now. These things are coming soon in like a, a couple months. And if you're uh, one of the first ones buying it, you'll get you'll have the influence to make it almost tailored to you without the cost. Because they know it would cost hundreds of thousands to build it custom, right? Yeah. So there are always ways around it. That is like the magic of using it. Like my clients say, Pedro, you have an excuse for everything. <laughs> That's the, yeah, it's that's kind the, of the how to frame the problem into a way of an opportunity for them to say, yeah, you will influence the journey of this product and help you in to solve your problem. Right? Yeah, it's not it's not magic, but uh, there's always like a way that you can make it sound good. Yeah, of course, it's not the full solution, right? But it's, it's important, as you mentioned, communicate it as you're saying, like, it's different to communicate. Uh, I'm having great support, as you mentioned, for example, than to say, are the, the engineers are actually the support team yeah. <laughs> directly to you? And they, they did that already. They just didn't say it, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Now that we say right. that, it's crazy, right? But that's I see that every day. That happens with every single client. Like some stupid things like that happen all the time. Stuff that amazing things that they do, they never said it. Mm -hmm. No one else knows about. No one else knows about it. 
Yeah, it's kind of underestimating that power, maybe. Yeah, saying those details. Um. Yeah. Now, um, talking about, I, I saw one of your posts. I think that you were talking about. Yeah, typically the typical dilemma if some if this type of job needs to be doing house or it needs to be outsourced or or a combination of both. So. Yeah, what is your feeling into how to collaborate with companies into this uh, area? Or, yeah, how, how do you feel is the correct answer, if there is any correct answer, of course? Mm -hmm. or, or This is a little bit of a tricky answer because, for example, when uh, companies talk to me, it's always going to be, always, always, always going to be more expensive for them to do it in-house because they're not going to get it right. Uh, it's either because they're not going to get it right, they're going to lose money because of not getting better results, or they're going to take months of iterations to do it, or they're just not going to do it because they, that happens all the time. They just don't do it. They uh, just keep delaying it and never gets done. It's I haven't seen an agency where they do this really well. They might do it better than um, the company, uh, which you're already lucky if that happens. But most of the time, you'll end up uh, having to make so much suggestions about their product that you end up writing the copy for them. And then it's like mostly design. And then it takes six months because they're redoing the entire website and so on. So this is very tricky. The best thing that I can do is becoming informed of what is good copy and bad copy. So you can spot who's the best person to help you. If there's someone in the team with the potential to learn this, or if you're looking at different agencies, you know enough to be able to spot if they're full of shit or if they're not. Right? You're able to look at their work and say, this is good, this is bad. So having good reference is probably the best thing they can do so they can decide the cost. Am I going with an agency or am I going with in-house, right? Got it, but it's not part of that journey that maybe someone in-house always needs to be involved to learn, right? Because if not, they will continuously repeating the same mistake for other pages and, and so on, right? Like how to change the mindset internally, right? Like maybe that's important. Maybe it's not good for you as a business that you want maybe recurring revenue, right? But mm -hmm. but also it's how to make sure that the mindset changes, right? Because at the end of the day, that's one of your goals, like how you educate them that, that they need to improve this way of communication. Yeah, so they need to have the right reference to even know if it's wrong in the first place. They need to find a good way to learn this, right? Mm -hmm. They need to understand how to learn the skill of copywriting. Uh, which is another big problem because they don't know in the first place what's going to be uh, looking good. And one of the biggest problems is they just, like you said, they don't have the right mindsets because the previous version of the website is someone's baby, right? And sometimes, and this is really annoying, I don't work with companies that do this because that is like the most childish thing ever, which you look at their work and they're defending it. Oh, it has to be this way because I said so or whatever it is because I've been doing this for a while or whatever, right? Uh, it's like they're a baby. They don't know how to, to disattach, right? They're not even an expert at doing, right? So they need to learn how to disattach, need to learn how to get rid of the false beliefs that they have because they say, oh, this page is really good. There's no way that this other page, this company that I really like, is it's doing this wrong, right? Uh, or there's no way that I'm actually, that I thought that I was good at doing this and actually have to realize that I'm bad at doing it and I need to learn. That is like an ego thing that you have to break. Like that is, that is uh, within the person itself, within the team that you create. Because I've seen, I've seen a lot of companies. Hopefully, I'm, 
I can filter them out really easy. I only work with uh, cool clients. But I've seen like the craziest things where people like super ego driven. It's their baby. It's correct that way. And they are the ones that know stuff and then nothing gets done. Or the fathers blame their team. It's like, what a bunch of child babies. <laughs> uh, that is that is another problem. So those are the three problems, I would say. Got it. Yeah. And how do you kind well, more talking from the point of view as a service provider. So how do you kind of detect those red flags in the intro call? So do you have any advice? Because maybe those red flags also apply for someone as a service company or even mm -hmm. in the product company, right? Because yeah, so uh, I pay very attention to those because it's like, I remember a guy saying that red flags are like cockroaches. When you see one, there's 50 more that you haven't seen. Mm -hmm. um, so then you pay really good, good, really good attention uh, to them. I thought um, there was only only one cockroach around. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's why I get paranoid if I ever see one. I haven't seen one. <laughs> They're not uh, common here, at least where I live. Um, so let's say a red flag could be, if, let's say they're doing the website um, and then you're doing with the founder, for example. Uh, they're talking about the website and they say, oh, I really want to do it. And I said, my team is just like, my team has, they, they have no idea what they're doing. It's like, uh, they're, 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 they're talking trash about their, their team, which is their responsibility because they are the ones that hire them. Um, you know, it's, that's already a false, false sense of responsibility. Then it's, The previous people that they've worked with always went wrong. So it's likely that they blame, always blame uh, other people or they don't know how to filter pe through people and so on. It's all, they're like a bit of uh, drama queens. Uh, they don't know what they want. If they don't know what they want. Like th they're not going to say, Pedro, you did a great job. They're not going to say, Pedro, this is good. They're going to change your stuff. The, even if they buy it, even if they don't complain about it, They put it on the website. Two months later, they changed it again, right? They, uh, it's like I said, you're always selling. You're selling people on booking a call. They're selling them on becoming a client. They're selling them on implementing exactly what he said. Selling them on coming back. Selling them on referring people. So you're always selling. You're always convincing people. Mm -hmm. So if they're not receptive to that, then you can't do anything about it. So those sort of things, it's uh, a really back, a really, uh, Or red flag. If they're always like busy, they don't know their priorities. Like if you have no focus in your head, like you have no clarity on what you're doing or, or where you're going. Like uh, I just have very little tolerance for those things because if you're like an entrepreneur, if you're in this sort of business, you need to take like responsibility for everything. For example, I have a team myself, right? If they make something wrong, it's probably because I didn't outline it properly, didn't communicate it properly, or I just hire the wrong person. It's always my fault. That gives me power. In my opinion, that gives me power, right? So mm. if someone doesn't think like that, it's red flag already. Got it. Got it. Um, so, but this is something you have learned out of certain fuck-ups, I assume. It's not something that you already knew beforehand. Uh, <laughs> or, yeah, can you... I, I was on the other spectrum. So I was more like, mm -hmm. uh, I was too afraid of how that happened. So I would filter people out more often. Uh, rather than taking someone in and then realizing it. So I was on the other spectrum. Um... Good. Okay. Now let's switch a bit. Uh, so I know that 
you are, of course, really active in LinkedIn, for example, on creating posts, uh, written posts, also videos, doing teardowns of websites or, or your advice to improve in certain websites or companies. So, yeah, uh, can you tell us how much benefit this brings to you to create this content or this educational content if that maybe can be useful for other companies so what are the benefits for you of doing this type of job and if maybe this apply as a communication uh, channel for software as a service companies as well um yeah it could work really well but it's 100% dependence mm -hmm. on what do you write about And if it's gonna be, if it's gonna have like a smooth transition between what you write about and the product, right? So, for example, I have a client that has a, a tool for interviewing, uh, and it, it can create all sorts of posts about, uh, I don't know, thought leadership or just random advice, and get a bunch of followers and people agreeing with them because he just says whatever people agree uh, uh, agree with, like politicians. The art of saying what people want to hear, right? Uh, you can see I'm skeptical about them as well, right? So <laughs> if you're using the politician way, he's going to get a lot of likes. No one is going to buy, right? If you do it in, uh, let's say, more like in a copywriter type of way, you're going to attract the, the people at the right point. So I'll give you an example for that client, and I'll give you my example, and then we can, and then it'll make sense. So let's say that client has a, a an interviewing video inter interviewing tool for just um, screening people, like candidates and so on. So instead of him either doing this thought leadership or just promoting his tool and showing demos, what he can do is he can share questions that have worked really well, questions that he can ask. Or he can share uh, ways that they can filter through people faster, right? He could share ways that they can people could do video interviewing without his tool and then realizing that They need their, their tool anyways. Uh, it could show stats, almost like social proof. So for example, since implementing this tool, they're now doing 20% more candidates. Or we found that young talents actually prefer, prefer asynchronous interviews because they might be on the go and they might be applying to several jobs at once because they have a lot of opportunities because they're really good. And so, so it kind of breaks the beliefs that they have around video interviewing and that nurtures people and then eventually people will reach out and so on. What I do is I essentially do three types of posts, but in slightly different ways. And I'll explain each of them. It's not exactly like the, there's a lot of psychology around it, but it's not exactly the same as the landing pages. It's just different skill. So one is right. about breaking false beliefs. So something that they believe to be true, but it's actually not. If I can transition Uh, someone from believing one thing into another, then they believe that's what creates authority, right? Is being able to break that belief. So, for example, one thing that I talk about uh, all the time is like analytics, right? You can say analytics are great, they're useful, but they never give you the solution. They're great to point out the problem. They're great to say, to, to say this page is not converting, visitors are leaving here, um, This is what you converted in the past, and so on. It doesn't tell you how to make it better, right? So you might be looking at it all day and trying to figure out um, what else can you do there. But in reality, is just points you the problems. Now you have to brainstorm 
what the solution could be. <coughs> just need a, a bit of water. Yeah, don't worry. So that is one thing, is breaking false beliefs. The second thing is uh, it could be like the social proof, right? So could it be social proof around the process? So how things work internally of how I do landing pages and so on, or it can just be like results. This client got 50% more demos or more revenue and so on, right? That could be uh, the second one. The third type is describing problems. So if I can describe problems of people that uh, are at the exact stage that I want them to be in order for them to buy from me, then not only means that I attract people with those problems because only them kind of respond to them, but it means that if I describe the problem better than they can describe it themselves, they'll assume that I have the solution. It's just like the psychology around it. So <clears throat> let's say um, a very specific problem. You're running ads. You got to a 20K a month budget. It was working really well. But now if you want to scale it to 50K a month, you're going to a broader audience. Ads are no longer profitable. So it means that you need to make your conversions way better so then they become profitable so that they can spend money on ads and then you can pay back the customer acquisition cost faster, right? And then I can talk about that and I can talk about increasing the price slightly, going for a different uh, target markets, like going a little bit more up markets, like squeezing those leads that pay you more, all these little things. So they know, hey, I have this problem. I'm stuck at 20K. I'll increase the... The budget, right? It's a very specific problem. So I track people those use cases, and I know if they're spending twenty k a month, they can afford to do this, and they can make a bunch of money if I make them get them good results, right? Great, great. very easy that way. Yeah, thanks for describing the type of post that you are doing, which could be helpful as well for other companies as well. How to approach this? Um, maybe as a last question for today. So, do you have any recommendations of books, podcasts, or events that you follow about the industry of software as a service or also about messaging or positioning? I think um, all the good books that I have are like copywriting books for like from um, very old school guys like mm -hmm. Joseph Shorgeman, David Ogilvy, uh, Claude Oppen, Opkins, uh, Dan Kennedy. I have all his books. Uh, so these were people that used to either s sell through direct mail, meaning that they would have to make a lot, a bunch of orders up front. And if they didn't get it right, they would go bankrupt. Uh, so they had to get it right. So they were really good. Uh, or they, they were just doing ads at a very specific, expensive stage and, and so on. So it's pretty hard to get it right. Um, so those are the books I like. Because you're not going to read all those books, I would just recommend the $100 million offers that you have read. But it, it, that most people have, have probably read at this point, but you, you need to look at it from a perspective of not only the offer, but how can you communicate this on the website, right? Because this is like the weird thing. So for example, with positioning, is how you think about how you want your company to be perceived by someone else. And messaging is how do you communicate that. Because I think companies internally, that could be another problem to talk about, is internally they know how they want to be perceived, why their product is better. They know this. No one else sees it. 
The problem is, is that no one else sees it. So if their visitors don't understand what they want to communicate, then it's useless. You can do all the keynotes and all the presentations and all these fancy positioning. If no one sees it, it's useless, right? It's not useless in itself. It's just because you're missing that key point, then it's not, it doesn't work, right? So same thing there. That's the book that I would recommend, but just look at it in a way. How can I communicate this on my website as well? Got it, got it. Do you follow any uh, podcasts, for example, that maybe kind of inspire you or help you to grow as well for you? Um, that are copyrighted related? Not, not really. Just more like personal development stuff or business stuff, stuff that I like to get a geek out on. Okay. Can you mention one of those if that's okay for you? Um, I like to look at, uh, I mean, uh, for example, I can mention the Tim Ferriss one because it's, uh, but it's also really popular, but the way that I like to learn is I like to learn not, for example, the contrarians where they're doing the opposite and they're winning, but also in a completely different industry, because if you look at it from a different industry, it shows the patterns, makes the patterns obvious of what actually overlaps with the software industry and what doesn't. Because all the copywriting books that I like the most never sold software. And I just applied them to software and figure out what was the way that could work for software. And I developed my own methodology around it. So I just like learning that way. Whereas like a really random industry that is working really well and what is the guy that is absolutely killing it? How does this apply to SaaS? How could this apply to SaaS? And I think the SaaS world needs to learn a, a, a lot about it from other industries. Got it. Okay. So I think this is a really nice way to finish for today. So how can people reach you out if they want to know more from you or your work? And yeah, or if you have any other landing pages that people can visit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have my website, which is at Cortez.design. Um, you probably have that in the show notes. Yeah. Basically, you can find more about my work, see some case studies and so on. I also have like a free formula. So the formula that I use to create landing pages for clients, I actually have it listed out on my uh, website. You can download it. There's a free tutorial that explains each section, that explains like client examples, how I wrote that section and so on, so you can really understand it. So I actually publish that. Um, and then you can also find me on LinkedIn, which is where I post most actively, where I can show do teardowns of other companies and what's good and, and bad about it. Uh, I show like random tips from time to time, false beliefs that people have and what else to believe instead, um, like social proof and examples of what has worked really well for clients, uh, that sort of thing. Good. So again, Pedro, thank you very much for your time. It was really a pleasure to talk and all the best in your journey and for more websites to be fixed in your work. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Um, uh, hopefully this... Uh, episode was valuable for everyone else yeah of course so see you around awesome talk soon thank you very much for joining us we hope you have enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights feel free to share with your friends and looking forward to seeing you next time